Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hello and welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Podcast. I am Liz Loza. I am, spoiler alert, joined by a very special guest. But before we introduce this person, a quick reminder that you can sign up for Fantasy Football Leagues right now over at Yahoo Sports. All right, now let's get to the reason I'm mostly excited to be here, not just because I have like an awesome job and we're actually going to have a season or so it seems, but because we have a special guest in the house today. It is Mauricio Gutierrez. He is the founder of Estadio Fantasy, which is the number one site for fantasy football analysis in Spanish. Mauricio, introduce yourself to the audience who might not know you, but they will certainly now. Amiga, ¿cómo estás? Bien, It's bien. really a pleasure. <laughs> It's great. Bienvenido. Really I should have said bienvenido, amigo. <laughs> bienvenido, tacos and tequila for everyone, right? Para, para todos, <laughs> sí. Y sería, para todos y para siempre. Y para siempre. That's, that's great. Yeah, that's muy correcto. <laughs> well, I, I've been a, a fantasy football analyst for eight years now. I started Estadio Fantasy six years ago. It's been a great journey. I now can can put myself in, in the range of uh, all uh, full-time fantasy football analyst, so I'm, I'm really blessed. And I'm a member of the Fantasy Sports Writer Association as well. Uh, I've been in the Scott Fish Bowl for five years, so I'm really enjoying the, the, this new phase of me as a fantasy football analyst. Uh, before I was uh, a lawyer, Like, uh, not many people know that I was a lawyer a long time ago, but now all fantasy football. But we should tell everyone that you are based in Mexico. Yeah. And... Yeah, I'm I'm, on, uh, I'm from Guadalajara. It's like center of, of the country. But I moved to Mexicali. I'm really close to the border, the California border. The the city that, that it's really close to Mexicali is Calexico. So we are really like close, like it's like three or four hours drive from here. And you were a, a lawyer. And then how did you talk to me about like, so I, I interviewed a, a man named a reporter in Mexico, in Mexico City named Israel Herman for a piece I did on the okay. uh, halftime show. And he worked for, it's now Univision paired with um, the other company. Mm -hmm. What is it? TFN or something now? Yeah. TDN, TDN, Televisa Deportes Network. Yeah. yeah. So he's a, a Yeah, I, I know Israel. I have played fantasy with him as also. Okay. Yeah. And when I talked to him, he talked about how um, in Mexico and Latin America, the the way they have become NFL fans was, um, you know, like his dad was a giant Broncos fan because when 
the they would get the Super Bowl and some of the playoff games, even if they wouldn't get in in Latin America, the regular season games. And so the teams that were the most winning were the teams that were easiest to become fans of because it was also the franchise you had the most exposure to. So how did you become interested in not just fantasy, considering the lack of regular exposure to the sport and also which team did you begin your NFL fanship um, courting, I guess? Well, my family and I uh, went to uh, Houston. It was like mid-80s, probably. And my father was like, we have to go to the Astrodome. The Oilers uh, are playing a game. It was a season opener, actually, because it was mid-September. And I was shocked by everything, by the stadium, by the fans, by the team. I saw Warren Moon playing, and I fell in love with with that team. It was against the Kansas City Chiefs. And in that time, it was like a rivalry between Oilers and the Chiefs. And I was like, love yeah, blue and Houston Oilers number one. And, and actually, after the Oilers moved to, to, to Tennessee, I'm still a Tennessee Titans fan. You, my friend James Roday, who has co-hosted with me on this podcast, is also a giant, um, grew up in Houston and is now a Titans fan mm-hmm. because of the expansion team nature of that. All right. So you're a Titans fan. That's interesting. We talked about Derrick Henry last <laughs> week. How did your how did your love of fantasy begin? And then we'll talk about um, a rather hot take that you just published on uh, both your site and tweeted about on social media. Yeah, well, I started the uh, fantasy one friend invited me to a league and I was like, wow, a different way to to leave the NFL, to to watch the NFL also. And I was amazed by that, that I could be a manager, a head coach. I really, really love it. And since that, it was like probably 12 years ago, I haven't stopped playing. And every year I say I'm going to have least leagues, I can't. Menos ligas es imposible. <laughs> that makes sense. And so what was your, do you remember what your first article about fantasy was? What you first wrote about or the player you first wrote about? <laughs> the, the first one, I really don't uh, remember. But I can remember the worst fantasy article I ever written. It was about Toby Gerhardt and that he was poised to be a top 12 running back with the Jaguars. You were not alone. <laughs> you were not it, alone. It was a hot take, but wow. I can remember that that one actually was the first year that I was writing for uh, for uh, about fantasy. Okay. So you've been in the game um, more than a minute, and now yeah. you started Estadio Fantasy. Um, mm-hmm. And you recently, so I should tell people that they can follow you on Twitter at m. Gutierrez NFL, M-G-U-T-I-E-R-R-E-Z NFL. And you recently, you know, we're, we're going to talk about rankings. And obviously, whether it's at Yahoo or elsewhere, the consensus number one per Fantasy Pros and probably anybody else who's even just casually playing is Christian McCaffrey. Because you don't come off of a season the way he came off of a season without um without managing that top spot. Now, I will say that last season, I uh, was higher on Alvin Kamara. Speaking of James Roday, he did not appreciate that take Mm -hmm. um, because we drafted him together (laughs) in a high stakes league. And that obviously didn't work out. But I was fearful about a CMC regression last year. I was fearful about the workload. I was fearful about how he would handle it all. I was clearly wrong. Obviously... 
I feel like eventually that will become true. The trick, if you will, for lack of a better word, is understanding or predicting when that will happen. Now, you wrote about where a first pick usually ends up at the end of a season. And frankly, the results aren't pretty. Now, I, after last year, I'm a little bit scared to <laughs> to back off of CMC <laughs> again because I got bit last year. But in the last decade, according to your research, only three running backs who are top picks ended up repeating as top five RBs. And that was Arian Foster in 2012, Adrian Peterson in 2015, and Todd Gurley in 2018. None of those running backs repeated as the RB1 the next year. So I want you to explain your take and, and the research. And I also want to say it is particularly prescient that while we were discussing what topics to bring up on today's show, I mm-hmm. received, and I don't know what kind of spyware this guy has, I received a DM on my um, in my Instagram from a follower who I engage with about fantasy all the time, David Blomquist. He's at Bloom H- uh, Bloomy HK. And he wrote, and this is a, I copied and pasted what he put in my mm-hmm. DMs. The last time there is a repeat number one fantasy running back was 2003 Priest Holmes. Don't let the McCaffrey siren song sink your ship. I'd personally take Barkley and maybe Kamara or Zeke before him. Hell, I wouldn't be shocked if Chubb outscored him. So fascinating takes from outside the Yahoo ecosphere. I'll let you, now that we've had, you know, more opinions, Mm. even from Mm -hmm. people you don't know, backing up your research, go ahead and dig into it. We can't change our strategy at 101 because of this tendency. If someone can destroy this tendency, it's actually Christian McCaffrey. Mm-hmm. I mean, outside of, of this, there's nothing that suggests that McCaffrey won't be the first, the best running back in fantasy football, or at least a top three running back in fantasy football. It's the workload is there. Is going to be continue the centerpiece of this offense. Actually, I think that he can benefit from the addition of offensive coordinator Joe Brady with more inside uh, zone run, runs. Please, uh, sorry, and also that the defense is in rebuilding mode, right? So this could lead to more passing volume, and we all know what Christian McCaffrey can make through the air. I will not be surprised if the if Christian McCaffrey finishes as the second receiver in targets uh, after DJ Moore this year. It's it's really tough not to, to take Christian McCaffrey at 101 because I think Barkley has risk. No? Yeah. We saw it last year. Seek has risk. Nick Chubb, uh, the Karim Hunt, uh, I really don't know. So Alvin Kamara could be one that could end as a running back one. Yeah, of course. And we've talked... Um at length before about how Kamara heading into week six before he was injured ahead of that game um, was averaging over a hundred yards per game. His touchdown, his touchdowns weren't amazing, but you saw him towards the end of the season when he got back to health, that touchdown rate 
started to increase again. So again, that was a health-based issue. Also, when you're talking about Christian McCaffrey, you have to think about the quarterback and Teddy Bridgewater. And what does Teddy like to do? We consider him to be a safe in this stage of his career, a safe signal caller, more of a check down option. Well, that seems to work really well for Christian McCaffrey in the receiving game. Him being second in looks does behind DJ Moore does make a lot of sense. But you wonder about the volume when you add Robbie Anderson, who has familiarity with uh, the the new coaching staff because of his time at Temple. And when you think about a potential Ian Thomas breakout, and when you think about this long, these long suffering Curtis Samuel truthers who want to see their (laughs) pet player but fulfill his full potential right um but also the floor just seems so high and I also want to say you know I don't know how much you have thought about this or discussed it either you know with people in your personal fantasy league or even Mm -hmm. followers on social media but now that there is no preseason officially, all preseason games have been canceled. The ramp up conditioning to the week one kickoff remains to be seen. And I have to imagine that it will vary, very dependently from team to team. Um, but, you know, in college, there is no preseason. And Matt Royals, obviously coming from a college background, I interviewed Pete Carroll and he was like, doesn't bother us. Like, I, I coached USC for years. I'm fine with it. I wonder if on one side of the coin, you have the continuity argument going against the Panthers. Like you, they, there's, what are you going to do? Like there, there's no systems in place. What they have to, they have to figure all this out. On the other hand, that lack, at least the piece of the preseason piece missing might actually benefit college coaches or pre, you know, recent college yeah. coaches more because that's what they're accustomed to. Yeah, because with no precision, everyone is like, okay, the disadvantage of the rookies, the disadvantage of new coaches, but actually college head coaches can benefit of this one. Yeah, I think Christian McCaffrey's pandemic proof. That's it. Perfectly <laughs> stated. That. Yeah, Perfectly stated in any language, Christian McCaffrey <laughs> is pandemic proof. And so while you've made an excellent point about all of these other um, players who haven't been able to repeat at his level. And as David did about Priest Holmes back in 2003, he might be the exception to every rule because yeah. moving forward, he has seemed to be the exception. Although I will say, you know, he David talked about Nick Chubb. We talked about Alvin Kamara as someone who could potentially do that if he were to stay healthy. Um, before, you know what, you mentioned risks with Barkley and risks with Zeke. Why don't you explain yeah. those first before we get into the guy that would be the surprise? Yeah, well, Barkley and, and Zeke are the obvious candidates, right? I, I can put there uh, Alvin Kamara, like to succeed Christian McCaffrey as the, the best running back in fantasy football in 2020. Well, Saquon Barkley, the, the Giants offense should be better, but we, all, we already saw that Barkley uh, struggled last year. He uh, fin- finished outside the top five. So uh, there's a concern, right, over there. With Zeke Elliott, actually, I really like Zeke Elliott's uh, chances to be the, the best running back this year. But I think the target is going to, to go down this year. With CeeDee Lamb, Blake Jarwin, which I'm high on him this year in the, the late rounds, uh, Michael Gallup, Amari Cooper... I think it's going to be tough for for Zeke Elliott to have uh, the same amount of targets that has been uh, 
having in, in past years, right? And with Alvin Kamara, I only see upside, right? Mm-hmm. I really don't 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 see a risk there. All right. So one of the guys that we've talked about, Andy and I talked about Dalvin Cook, who, who we haven't mentioned a couple of weeks ago, mm-hmm. and some of the pros and cons to his game and situation. Let's talk about Joe Mixon because he has interestingly become one of the more divisive players in this league for his on the field uh, actions, is what I'm referring to. Mm-hmm. Um, But I have always really admired his talent. And I think, you know, you you look at what he did in his sophomore campaign and he posted 20 breakaway runs over a 14-game span. That was the RB2 for that statistical category. Last year, he followed that up with, I thought, a miraculous effort (laughs) where he evaded 103 tackles, RB1. Now, obviously, the other half of that stat is he shouldn't have to evade that many tackles and is evidence of how bad the situation (laughs) was. But he also put up a top four juke rate of nearly 33%, and he generated 449 yards after the first evaded tackle. And that's top seven for all three of those um, cat, statistical statistical category. So we know he has the yes. ability to do it. His numbers weren't great last year because I believe because of the situation. Now, what are your beliefs in him? Because Cincinnati, again, when we're looking at COVID and we're looking at continuity, it's not the easiest. It's This isn't a regular year where you can look at Joe yeah. Burrow and be like, well, he's the number one. What I mean, he maybe had arguably the greatest college football campaign in his last year at college ever um they've got t higgins now this is a difference where they've got zach taylor this is a different squad but also if you're leading into the continuity argument none of that necessarily holds as much water so where are you on mixon i'm very high on mixon for me it has the perfect mix to be the league winner I can make him as league winner. Mar- you just the, said Joe Mixon yeah, could winner. be a league yeah, winner. League winner. Preach it, babe. For me, it's a mar- margarita of running backs. Okay. No? The Cadillac margarita. You can't, go, you can't go wrong with him. It's endless possibilities. Like you said, he was really, really talented. It's a really talented running back. He was in the worst scenario in 2019. The worst offensive line. Erratic Andy Dalton. No AJ Green. A bad offense. He was the second best running back in yards created last year. It's uh, amazing how efficient he was in a really, really bad offense. It has to go like better. The job error effect, yeah, the continuity, it's, it's an issue. It's not, it's not going to be easy for Joe Mixon uh, to be a top three running back, but I can see it. The talent, the volume is going to be there. I think the Bengals, actually with this, Lack of continuity, a new coach, a new head coach. Is he is going to be the centerpiece of this offense? Because it has to. Because there is no yeah. other choice right now. And and we can also an upgrade on the offensive line with, with the addition of Jonah Williams. Yeah. A, po- a positive regression, regression in touchdowns from five. I can see Joe Mixon scoring 10 touchdowns this season. Now, you also tweeted that you are taking him ahead of Derrick Henry. As a Titans yeah, that's fan. Right. Yeah, Explain that's yourself. Right. <laughs> I'm really terrified for a negative regression in in the Titans, in the offense as a whole. Derrick Henry, okay, he's going to have the volume. Yeah, he runs. He's a monster. I get it. 
But the lack of versatility with him, it's it's really an issue for me in, in fantasy football, in, in half PPR and PPR leagues. And what if the Titans are not the Titans 2019? They're going to rely more on the air and then the volume for Derrick Henry is going to be low for being our top five running back. He can score touchdowns? Yeah, of course. But I really don't see the Titans as a great team that we saw last year. And Henry had, like, it's two seasons for, for Derrick Henry, right? With Marcus Mariota and then with Ryan Tannehill. But I don't see that for, for 2020. Interesting. So you're basically saying when you're looking at these two prospects who are being drafted per fantasy in similar, you know, I'd say they're probably in the similar tier, though Henry is, yeah. consent, according to the consensus, ranked ahead of Joe Mixon. You are a fantasy manager is rostering Derrick Henry at peak value. That's what we call it, right? Like peak yeah. value. Uh, He's a volatile player. But as I spoke with Jason Moore, of oh I almost said Josh of Jason Moore of the fantasy footballers <laughs> um last week Henry could be that anomaly right like he is different than everybody else so you are yeah. more willing to draft yeah. him at peak value because he has proven time and time again to not just be um he has proven to be the exception to the rule but when you look yeah. at Mixon there have only been improvements put around him right yeah. and so why not lean into the upside at a theoretical value, at least behind Derrick Henry with Mixon. Yeah. And for me, with this uh, crazy season, a pandemic season, upside is going to be everything. Swing for the fences. Go for the home run. Mm, that is an interesting take. Well, <laughs> do you even say that? Because again, last week when Jason was on, he believed that at least in the first few rounds, you choose floor. Because everything is going to get crazy. And as you go further and further into your draft, then you start leaning into upside. But because you're already factoring in um, a wild number of unexpected obstacles, maybe you don't lean you don't you don't lean in variance immediately. Lean into variance immediately. Now I have to say, like I, I would I would agree with that. Like I would agree in your first four rounds, maybe picking higher floor players and then okay. moving to the ceiling. But explain to me when you say swing for the fences, you swing, are you swinging for all the fences or are you swinging for the fences after the eight picks after the eighth round? All the fences. All the fences. Please. I mean, yeah. If this is going to be a crazy season, go crazier. For me, it's simple. If I have the 105 or 106 pick, I'm going to select Joe Mixon over Derrick Henry. I could select even Miles Sanders and Kenyon Drake over Derrick Henry. Oh, my gosh. We oh. <laughs> All right. So talk to me. You open this wide up because I've heard a lot of people. I think when we talk about these are three actual uh, I think these are three players that lump together quite interestingly, yeah. because when you look at Joe Mixon and you look at Kenyon Drake, I often hear people arguing which of those two should be ranked higher. Joe Mixon hasn't ever proven, hasn't ever fulfilled his potential. The people who are in his favor say, well, he's been yeah. hamstrung by a horrible offense. Um, and then when people who are in, you know, when you look at Kenyon Drake, you think, well, look at that offense and 
you know, look at how, and I think Jason and I discussed this last week, like there's nothing but potential for Kenyon Drake, except have we ever seen Kenyon Drake do it? Have we ever seen him do anything other than in the month of December for any uh, of the seasons he's been on the field? And I'm not saying that that's necessarily the take, but that would be the anti Kenyon Drake take. So here's a player who plays all the time, but has never done it. Here's a player who has done it, but hasn't been able to do it consistently. When I look at those two systems, I have to say, I, I think that Mixon is the higher floor player uh, between Drake and Mixon, no? But you would draft, would you draft Drake ahead of Mixon? Uh, no, probably not. Okay, why? Okay, you could, could go crazy, but not like the craziest. Okay. So if you want a floor, but you, you want upside also, I think Mixon is a perfect mix. And Kenyon Drake has... Uh, really low, but not not really low, but low floor, but he has immense upside. So you have to balance in in, in that. And the take on, on Kenyon Drake that we only have seen flashes of him, it's the the one thing that that turns that put Mixon over Drake in my rankings. Okay, okay, because we have more data on Mixon. It's a you feel more comfortable projecting a higher draft position for him. Yeah. So then Miles Sanders, when you're looking at Miles Sanders or Kenyon Drake or Josh Jacobs, where are you landing? Uh, I'm landing Miles Sanders. Okay. Over I Kenyon Drake? I don't buy the running back by company. Yeah, over Kenyon Drake. Explain yourself again. Yeah. <laughs> I love Miles Sanders. Actually, I think it's undervalued uh, this year. He's clearly their number one in, in Philly. He has a great coach. He has a great uh, play system. He has a great offensive line. He doesn't have any competition at all with Boston Scott and Corey Clement. And yeah, the rumors of Devonta Freeman and all. But right now, he is the only running back in Philadelphia for me. He was very productive when Jordan Howard uh, injured himself last year. But actually, one, one thing that most aren't seeing is that Miles Sanders won the the competition last year. He was injured by a hamstring after uh before preseason. He was the first running back in that offense in week 1. He lost two or three assignments and then he lost it uh in favor of of Jordan Howard, right? But actually Miles Sanders, I think the the, the Eagles think of him as a workhorse. I I can see Miles Sanders in a committee except if Devonta Freeman is on the mix. Right, but as of yet, without the Devonta Freeman addition, yeah, he hasn't. And you're right. Um, after Jordan Howard went down with that shoulder injury in Week Nine of last year, Sanders averaged 19 touches per contest. And now there's no more Darren Sproles. Right, Darren Sproles is enjoying retirement. So yeah. it would make sense there would be additional or at least maintained volume for Sanders. And I do hear people talking about like, well, what about Jalen Rager or Jalen, even Jalen Hurts, who have, who are exceptional gadget players and can be used out of the backfield. Mm -hmm. But again, when I think about the continuity argument, it's going to take a minute for them to be properly added, even in a regular season to work out the kinks of gadget play is not something that happens week one, especially if you don't have a preseason or a regular training camp yeah totally and and sanders was very efficient last year also he was the running back seven in yards per touch with 5.8 he was the running back 13 invaded tackles and running back 15 in yards created yeah playing only like 
half of season, right? And he was the best um, rookie running back in points per game last year. And the most common thing I, I, I'm hearing about don't draft Sanders is the committee. But I think Peterson don't use a committee because he wants to. He has used a committee in Philadelphia because he hadn't had a talented player as Miles Sanders. He had Jay Ajayi. He has... Uh, right. He had like LeGarrette Blunt and Wendell Smallwood. So, of yeah. course, he's not going to run out of... Uh, right. Yeah. But in his days in Kansas City as offensive coordinator, he used a workers. This is fair. This is fair. I am. I am. I am here for this. I love how we've moved into this. Let's talk about another divisive, divisive running back. Like, let's go. Let's just lean into it. Uh, you wrote a recent piece about David yeah. Johnson and how he was a former RB one. Obviously, you're talking about his 2016 season where he was the num the most productive player at his position from a fantasy perspective. I'm actually writing an article right now. On him, he is the fourth p player in my rest versus rust series that I've been doing. I did straight up ask Dr. Alex Weber, who's been helping me with this series, if he was, quote, washed, which was awesome, just as a side note to say, like, all right, Doc, is he washed? And then hearing this, like, orthopedic surgeon would say, like, well, let's define washed. And I was like, I don't really, don't you know, it's just washed. <laughs> um, <laughs> So I'm also writing a piece on David Johnson. What are your, I have not read your article because I try not to write, you know, while I'm writing something about a player, I don't want to read other people's takes so that mine remains unbiased. So give me your David Johnson take, though I'm pretty sure our listeners already know how I feel about him. For me, it's like, if he's healthy, like a big if, no, he could be a solid running back too this year. Uh, before his injury that actually slowed him last year in Arizona, He was the running back fifth, uh, the fifth running back in total fantasy points. He was fourth in targets per game. He was 15 in touches per game. He was the second best running back in in points, uh, fantasy points per touch among running backs with at least 50 carries. He was effective. He was productive. Then the injury came, and then the Chase Edmonds, and then Kenyon Drake, and we forget about. Those six weeks with David Johnson was productive. Some may doubt about David Johnson because, okay, he was productive because he was in a Cliff Kingsbury offense, right? That we, we saw that any running back can produce in, in that offense. But we, we have seen David Johnson be productive in the past without this offense. And now with the Bill O'Brien offense, I think it's a new opportunity for him. Bill O'Brien normally uses his main running back like a 60% snap in in uh, in average. He has Adam Foster, Lamar Miller. And last year, Carlos Hyde was productive, ending as the 27th running back in half PPR format and running back 30 in PPR. I mean, if David Johnson can have the volume that Carlos Hyde saw last year and he's healthy, He can outproduce those numbers easily. So here's where I get conflicted over David Johnson, because and this is the the conceit of my article, because what was the first thing you said if he were to stay healthy? Right. But that's a big if. Yeah. But let's talk about him as a player and his skill set as a player, because initially my thought was like, well, look at this volume. He's going to have this volume. But what is David Johnson best at doing when he really shines? Is he is he a between the tackles grinder 
or is he a receiver out of the backfield with exceptional speed? The, the receiver with exceptional speed. Right. Yeah, Who else is in that right. backfield with him? Duke Johnson. What else? What's the thing that Duke Johnson does best? <laughs> the same David Johnson. Right. And now if we're going to yeah. try to give David Johnson the volume that we're talking about in order for him to be a fan- fantasy effective, is mm-hmm. he able, with his current durability issues, to stay healthy as a between-the-tackles grinder? Or is that usage so different from what he is built to do that it now becomes a, a non-issue? That, like, it, he won't last long because of because he's presented with durability issues. If, like, in order to get the numbers we want to get, he has to be used a certain way that maybe he is not built to being used. And that is my whole reluctance... Yeah. Which did not start, frankly, until I talked to the doctor. And spoiler alert, the doctor does not believe him to be washed and does think he'll start the season at 100%. And it's the first time in this series that my opinion is differing from the doctor's. And I'm wearing a mask, so I usually go along with what a doctor says because they know better about science than me. So that is my my (sighs) dilemma with David Johnson. At his ADP, I don't know if I like... (sighs) That's really tough, like... Uh, those waters uh, for a running back two in round three uh, with the Melvin Gordon mm-hmm. and Jonathan Taylor and all this continuity and, and this advantage of, of rookies. So now it's questionable, right? Now, now it's a, it's going to be when tough. you think about it from that perspective, I, I, I start to have pause and that Tot- is totalmente. <laughs> totalmente, sí. Um, so let's play the name game a little bit. Uh, he's going at the David Johnson is being selected mostly at the end of the fourth round, beginning of the fifth round in. And we're talking, obviously, for people who aren't familiar in 12 team exercises and a half point PPR scoring fam- format. Who are you choosing between? Would you rather? I love playing this game. Would you rather mm-hmm. David Johnson or Clyde Edwards Hilaire? Clyde Edwards Hilaire. Would you rather David Johnson or David Montgomery? That's a tough one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really love David Montgomery in the second year, uh, but I think David Johnson could have uh, more upside this year than David Montgomery. So you'd say David Johnson by a hair if you're swinging for all the fences. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Last one. And I think this one's this one's interesting. There is a bit more of space between these two, but David Johnson or Todd mm-hmm. Gurley, who also presents with durability issues, but big volume, <laughs> same argument. Todd Gurley because of the offense. Yeah, a hundred percent with you. And yet, Todd yeah. Gurley is being drafted behind David Johnson. So maybe the wow. answer is. Why don't you get yourself a wide receiver at the end of the fourth <laughs> round? Ignore all of this and know yeah. that you can probably draw get Todd Gurley back on the snake on the other side. Todd Gurley in, in fifth round, it's like a steal. I right? think so. I mean, this it is it could be a steal. Yeah, it could be. Yeah. But so could David Johnson. You don't know. <laughs> That's the dilemma. So interesting. All right, we talked through that one. Um, give me one more. Give me your boldest prediction heading into. A year in which really anything can happen. The boldest prediction I have probably could be with the Steelers. I'm going to say two. Anthony McFarland outscores James Conner this year, even if he's a rookie and all that. And Deontay Johnson is going to outscore Juju Smith-Schuster. Oh my gosh. Thumbs down on both of those. (laughs) Oh, Maurice. Oh. 
I mean, listen, te quiero, pero that is <laughs> plátanos. Like, no, no me gusta. <laughs> Liz, you said predicción loca. Sí. That's a bold, crazy prediction. Also, I mean, where is your love for Benny Snell, who is the understudy 100% to James Conner? <laughs> and number two, um, Deontay Johnson, like every, the, the Deontay Johnson hype train is so stinking loud that he is no yeah. longer a sleeper. I know. And I feel like Eric Ebron is going to siphon some of those looks by the, in the red area of the field. He is going to get some of those TD looks. Um, and I also feel like we're discounting James Washington's ability to stretch the field or to be a deep threat. Yeah. And probably also Chase Claypool from yeah. the week six and, and on. Yeah. But, but I really like Deontay Johnson. I mean, the hype is out of control mm -hmm. and probably it's going to, the hype train is going to derail because right now Deontay Johnson in round seven, it's, it's crazy. So probably I'm not going to have Deont too much Deontay Johnson in my teams. But I really like him. Uh, he was uh, talented. He was a, a really successful rookie season. Like Joe Mixon in a very bad situation with uh, Mason Rudolph and the dog. For me, Deontay Johnson could be a really, really surprise, a good surprise this year. Yeah, outscoring Juju Smith-Schuster, it sounds crazy, but it's bold. I know, but I can see it happen. All right. Well, I will. The, you, I asked for bold predictions, and you're right. You gave me two very bold predictions. <laughs> We can talk about Anthony McFarlane and how, like that. What? Just you have to explain to me what do you like about him ahead of Benny Snell? No, I mean you can tell me what you like about him as a player as well. But why do you think he'll climb up the roster and surpass Snell, assuming everyone's healthy? I haven't seen too much of the Benny Snell, but I really like Anthony McFarland. His yards created uh, per touch in, in college is amazing. And I'm really sold on that on him. Okay, so that's someone that Mar so Mauricio is higher on McFarland than I am. I I mean he's a more he is certainly a more electric player. Benny Snell is slow, yeah. but I think Benny Snell is like capable and in that offense with all these receiving weapons, assuming health and Big Ben. You don't necessarily need that electric of a player. If James Conner is ineffective this year, or or an injury happened. Do you see a uh, running back by committee with Benny Snell and Anthony McFarland where Anthony McFarland can be more explosive? I, I think... Or do you don't see it at all? I think it's likely a committee, but I think that Snell would see 60% of... I think Snell would run ahead of McFarland. Okay. So that, you know, I, I don't know how much uh, McFarland, especially as a rookie, would be folded in. And of course, it would also depend on, frankly... We're now we're like splitting hairs, but when the theoretical let's hope it doesn't happen injury to James Conner would take place, you know, like earlier in the season, yeah, I'm course. going to lean towards. In fact, we're seeing this. We saw this in Tampa Bay uh, via a tweet, an announcement today that as one of the effects of COVID and these abbreviated or stunted or not fully formulated training camps, um, like Ronald Jones is the RB1. And then um, I forget the second guy. You see, he's forgettable. Uh, the, and, and in fact, Dara Umbawale. Yeah, Dara Umbawale oh, yeah? okay. is the RB two, and um, Vaughn, the rookie, who everybody was excited about, is the backup to both of those guys to start the season. And that's just going like that is when we talk about the effects of of COVID and rookies, even at the running back position. Now, Vaughn is not like your typical, you know, dual threat. Mm -hmm. running back yeah. like built in the same style of Zeke or 
Saquon or something like that, right? But like, then that's one of the effects is that to start the season, these rookies are going to have an even higher, uh, even higher mountain to climb to get meaningful yeah. reps. Yeah, it's going to be slow for them. So Dante McFarland, Antonio Gibson, Keyshawn Bond, Cam Akers, that Sean McVay like, told that it's going to be a running back by committee with four running backs. It's going to be crazy if, if that's true. But I think, do you think Clyde edwards Seller and Jonathan Taylor, can we exclude them from this narrative? Well, I think it's a little bit different because um, also when you look at their draft position, it's different. Yeah. And when you look at their offensive yeah. lines, it's different. Like Clyde Edwards-Hilaire was a first-round pick at the running back position. Andy Reid uh, is obviously a creative genius, and I don't <laughs> think that he is drafting. And, I, you know, he moved around running backs all last year, and I don't believe that Damian Williams, who when he was in Miami was – called a tiptoe bandit, right? Like he, he doesn't, he doesn't really plant his foot. There were lots of scouts who had trouble with his game. Not that scouts know everything, but then he lands in this offense and of course um, has an exceptional performance. So, but this offense could support any exceptional talent. So I also think Clyde Edwards Hilaire is an exceptional talent. So now you have an exceptional talent in an exceptional offense and he's got first round draft pedigree. Yep. That is different than I know. some of the other players. Jonathan Taylor to me is a little bit more interesting because I am not nearly as sold on Marlon Mack all of a sudden just being faded. Um, and okay. I do think that Naheem Hines, especially when, and Scott Pianowski brought this up, especially when you consider the fact that Philip Rivers has targeted the running back position 26% of all total targets since he was a starter at the quarterback position over the length of his career, Naheem Hines is going to be factored in there a little bit too. So, but when you look at, again, when you look at that offensive line, Jonathan Taylor is in a really good position. So to me, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is the number one rookie. And Jonathan Taylor has, it, it wouldn't surprise me to see he, like to see him and Marlon Mack move to a 60-40-70-30 split. Yeah. But I don't think Marlon Mack is just going away. Yeah, I totally to 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 agree you with know? you. But I think that when we advance in the, in the season, Jonathan Taylor is going to be the lead back in, in, in that offense. But it can take a while. Like like three four weeks maybe, and Marlon Mack is not going to disappear like that. But Clyde Edwards-Helaire is exceptional. I really love it. Uh, he's ADP right now. I'm ecstatic with that. I hope he doesn't uh, go up in, in in August. I'm going. I think it's going to happen. But I really love his talent. Well, interestingly, since there's no preseason, there's no opportunity for these rookies to like. <laughs> have yeah. an awesome game and then that forces their draft stock through the roof because yeah. you know the the cat's out of the bag if you will <laughs> right like i remember amir yeah, abdullah he just like <laughs> ruined everybody because he had an exceptional preseason showing david montgomery yeah. to a similar extent you know last season That's right. so yeah. at least the homework you would hope means more if there is no preseason because nobody there isn't any tape of it happening yet it's all still theoretical um I will say I was going to say something else. Go, you were going to say something too, and I'll get back to it. I was like, we we are going to have to dig really lot more in training camp reports to see uh, how coaches are utilizing those running backs. Who is uh, ahead of of the other one? For me, the Tampa Bay running back uh, situation ahead with with the Rams it's really really interesting, and I'm going to be like digging my eyes on that. <laughs> 
you're going to be focusing on that a lot. I, I will say yeah. here is at least for draft strategy, because I think you brought up a really good point, which is, well, maybe the first month of the season, Jonathan Taylor isn't a 50-50 split with Marlon Mack. But where he is being drafted doesn't afford whoever the manager that rostered him that sort of time. Because we are going to have to move players more quickly, I think, this season. And so yeah. now, am I interested? Can can you imagine a scenario, a likely scenario, in which you draft Jonathan Taylor and he's not really producing for you out of the gate. And so you get frustrated, maybe not you, but somebody else gets frustrated. And all of a sudden, now he's available on the wire six weeks into the season. I Because of like just using draft strategy, I'm not sure I want to draft players that I know I'm going to have to wait on unless they are the double-digit round players. Okay, but we are sold in that Marlon Mack could be a, uh, productive behind that defensive line. Yeah. Jonathan Taylor could be. Why not go for Jonathan Taylor in the fifth, sixth round and then go with Marlon Mack in the 10th, 11th round? I mean, you can do that. You're yeah. just giving yourself a lot of exposure to the Colts offense I know. with an yeah, aging right. quarterback. I mean, I don't know if that's the offense that I want to have a lot of exposure to. I'm not yeah. saying it's a bad idea because their <laughs> offensive line is super stout. But also I'm thinking Naheem Hines is going to see some looks. And so now I don't know if that's where I want to double down. That's all. I think I'd be more yeah. willing yeah, to it do sense. it. Yeah. I have to think about where I'd be more willing to do it, actually. That's an interesting. And I also think an interesting article that maybe you or I should write um, or research. I'm going to be very interested to examine strength of schedule over the first month of the season. Yeah. Because that totally. will be very indicative of of a draft value. You know, I talked about Big Ben and Rust versus Rest and how like he has a month and a pretty solid schedule over his first month to shake off a lot of rust. And he's had the rest. So he should be fine given the ease of his schedule in that first month. Things get tougher after that. But, you know, I think that first month, strength of schedule over the first month is going to be really, really important while drafting to look over. So I guess I've just given myself a new assignment. <laughs> <laughs> that's great awesome well thank you Mauricio so much for being with us we the Yahoo Fantasy Football Podcast will be back on Tuesday you can subscribe to us and give us a review and a rating we'd appreciate it while you're there please subscribe to the Yahoo Sports NFL Podcast with Therese Paler and Charles Robinson and just another heads up you can sign up for fantasy football and get in on this drafting of your own we have standard leagues. We've got best ball. You can follow us on Twitter at Yahoo Fantasy. Mauricio, tell everybody one more time where to follow you, where they can find your work, and anything you'd like to close on. <laughs> Thank you, Amiga. I'm really, really thankful for, for the opportunity to be in the Yahoo podcast. They can find me in, at M. Gutierrez NFL and all my content in stadiofantasy.com. Salud, amigo. Gracias. Salud, amiga. All right. Tacos y tequila. <laughs> Siempre. I'm at Liz Loza <laughs> underscore FF and adios. <laughs> 